Well, welcome to State of Mind Talks, the new podcast series from State of Mind Sport. Uh, this is a series exploring transitions, the emotional and mental side of uh, confronting and going through major change. I'm George Riley, and each episode I'll be chatting to a familiar name from the world of sport. And this week's guest is one of Wales' all-time sporting greats, a former Great Britain Rugby League international, Warrington Wolves all-time record point scorer, and three-time Challenge Cup winning captain as well, Lee Breers. Great to see you. How are you, Lee? I'm great, thanks, George. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to a good chat. No, it's, it's always good to, to talk to you and good to see you. And especially right now, um, I mentioned transitions at the start and that's, that's kind of where, where we are right now with you because you're, you're contemplating a kind of a, a next step and a, a next chapter in your life. Sure, I'm, yes. Uh, obviously, with uh, what's going on at Warrington, obviously I'm not going to be there after this year. So it's, it's probably the biggest transition I'm going to have to make as a, as a, as a grown-up. So I made, one, I made one when I was younger, coming from Saints to, to Warrington. Uh, but other than that, I've kind of been safe in, in the knowledge that I've always had a job. So, yeah, it's scary times and exciting times at the same time. Now, I would um, normally start at the beginning when I do these chats, start at the beginning of the story and kind of work your, your way through. Given the nature of this series and where we are now, I'll, I'll start with that present because you mentioned it. It's not just leaving a job. It's a 25-year association you have with a club, a town, a, a place of work. And you're going to be walking away later this year, leaving your current role uh, as assistant coach. You, you mentioned a couple of things about being kind of scary times, but in a general sense, how are you feeling about everything that's happened in the last few weeks and, and where it might lead? Uh, I've got it. I, th I suppose it's happened in stages of the realisation, you know, I kind of knew that it was, it was, my time was coming to an end, uh, the way, the way things were doing, done about. And, but you still, you still don't know for sure till you, you hear them words. And uh, yeah, it was upsetting. Obviously, I've got a lot of emotional ties to, to the club. 25 years is, it's over half my life. Uh, so, all I've ever known, really, is, is Warrington. Uh, so, first, first, probably, phase of that was shock and, and dealing with them emotions of anxiety, uh, worried about what's going to happen in the future. So, to quickly go into the next stage of, actually, you know, I'm, I'm a really positive person, so what can be next? Where this going to lead? Uh, is it going to be the making of me? Uh, and, and, and then putting a plan in place. So I'm, I'm, I'm at the point now where I'm, yeah, I'm still anxious a bit. Uh, still don't know what's happening. But I'm really excited for what could be and whatever that may be. So I've probably come to terms with it now, I think. And... I'm just looking forward to, to whatever's next for myself. And, and in terms of, of that period, you mentioned shock, anxiety, worry, uh, and how upset you are. Um, how did you find out? How and when uh, was that news delivered to you? And you, you made it kind of very clear. You, you were told, just take me into that. I don't know if it was a meeting phone call and I want a sense of just how, how you were feeling and you know, what exactly happened. Yeah, basically... Obviously, Daryl Powell got, uh, I think Daryl Powell got announced, did he? Oh. And then as a, the performance staff, I had a one-on-one -on -one meeting with, with the CEO 
uh, and and got told basically then whether you were staying or whether you was going. And I was uh, I was first in the meeting, first one in, uh, and first to be told, which I kind of knew was coming. Uh, but again, you you don't expect it, and it was just a simple. It was just as simple as Daryl Powell's coming and he, he wants to bring his own staff and there's there's not going to be a role for you uh, going forward at the club. So that's all I can probably remember, if I'm, if I'm being honest here. It wasn't a, something what, a meeting what lasted more than two minutes. I was, I was probably in a daze, to be fair. And if it would have lasted more, I, I wouldn't have knew what was going on anyway. So... It would just kind of get out of there uh, and, and and kind of take a couple of deep breaths and 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 kind of form my agent, form my family and, and and move forward with that. Was there any anger? I'm not saying there should have been, but that's a very natural human emotion when something happens that is out of our control and not necessarily what we want. Yeah, you, you know me, George. I'm, I'm an honest person and, and listen... Also, there was anger. I was losing my job, uh, and these emotions they, they they all run through you when when something you don't want to hear happens. It was I anger to the club? There was no anger in in a way of you know this that and the other. It was just it was just all the emotions running through you, and that that's life. That's part of disappointments, and and life's all all about you know how you come back from disappointments. Does it, I mean, from my point of view, looking in, it, it kind of underlines the precarious nature of working in professional sport, very much like, you know, the industry that, that I've been working in, in, you know, professional broadcasting. Uh, a company can get a new boss and they don't like your face or your voice and it might not be anything you've done, but suddenly you're out of a job. Very much more so in this instance that it's absolutely nothing you've done. You've got no control. It's just a case of a new man and a new team. And there's, there's literally, you can nothing do nothing you can do about it yeah very much so you know Daryl Powell doesn't owe me anything you know it's it's only for that he, he has his own say and who's on his staff and who and he obviously he's got a trusted team who's worked with him I've got no problem with that you know when you when you when you sit down and you take a breath it's it's part of the game and uh again it's it's Daryl Daryl Powell's prerogative to bring whoever he wants and I'm in the same game Further down the line, I might have to do what's happened there. So it, it's just part of, of, of rugby league. It's part of any any coaching setup that actually you could be out of a job if somebody else comes in. It's it's the nature of the beast, and I know what I'm getting myself into. I suppose it's just hard because of the time frame I've been with the club. I suppose. Mm. Uh, and just just one on just one more question on on kind of this this element of of what we're discussing. I, I'm interested in how it might compare to the emotions you felt as a player when you were delivered similar bad news, being left out for big games, those setbacks. I remember talking to Danny Maguire when he was left out of his first big Challenge Cup final and how, you know, how badly he took that. And I mean, you will have had those setbacks as a player. How does that, is there much crossover in terms of those emotions you felt then, what you could do about it and this when you're getting that kind of setback as a coach? Yeah, I suppose you. I'm, I'm a massive believer in you know life's a journey, and you've got to learn from from emotions, from mistakes, from good things. And probably the last time this happened was when I left Saints and, and moved to 
moved to Warrington and uh, I dare say I was, a, I, was a, I was a kid when I was at Saints, so probably getting left out of the Challenge Cup final, I, I probably, you know, spat my dummy out and, and wanted to move. Uh, so I, I have learned from, from that and uh, I suppose if I was a bit older, I probably would have took a breath and, and, and worked out what, what was needed to go forward to stay at Saints. Uh, it kind of them emotions now where I've not, you know, spat my dummy out. I'm, I'm still an employee of Warrington Wolves and uh, I, I will be until anybody else says anything different to the end of the year. You know, as as in in any walk of life, there could be a time where I might get offered a job tomorrow. And now I've got to take that into consideration. Uh, but regarding, you know, setbacks, you, you learn from each one. You know, not only in in sport, but in, in any walk of life of and I lost me I lost my mum pro what was it? Uh seven, six months ago now, I think it was. And so you learn from that that emotion as well. And you know, it's it's important with with any kind of emotion that you speak to people and and tell them how you th- you're feeling and uh you know speak to people who you trust and they 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 they, they listen and, and talk about without emotion and and that that sometimes is invaluable when things are like this and that's what I've done. I, I was going to ask you um, about your mum actually uh, and, and I remember I remember texting you when you when you said what had happened um, before Christmas wasn't it during during the, the yeah. Um, during the lockdown time and uh, I mean I really felt for you uh, and I just wondered when I I, I I found out what was happening with you and Warrington whether in in a sense you'd kind of been on this emotional journey kind of a few months before that anyway given what what would have been going on in your head after losing your mum yeah for sure uh, and and still on it and I, I, but I, I like I said I've said numerous times life is a journey and there's going to be ups, there's going to be downs. It's about making sure that you've got the right people around you at the right time, and 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 you know that support network's key. Listen, there's going to be times where I'm going to take a massive dip. That's that's my character. Uh, but I'm on, I'm on a good track at the moment. Yeah, there's this there's there's obstacles obstacles being thrown my way, but that's a challenge. That's a challenge you've got to you've got to take head on. And, and life's all about, you know, it's all about learning and, and moving forward. We'll come back to some of this at the end, but you, you mentioned in passing a glimpse of what the young Lee Breers was like. So let's let's hop back to uh, to talk to to that person. Um, and even before, I guess, even before you you were trying to get into the Saints team, you took a big leap, didn't you? Because you went to another country. You went to you went to France. You went to Carcassonne. There was a there was a few few of you went over there as a lad. And from what I've read, uh, you talking about that, that seemed like a very big year in your life when you were a teenage boy living at home with you mentioned your mum. You were living with your mum and dad, weren't you? And then suddenly, you're over there in a in a different country playing rugby league against big Frenchmen. Yeah, and if anybody knows me, uh, I, I was a mummy's boy, still am, uh, and. Mum and dad did everything for me. Well, I mean everything. So me to go over and uh, and go and spend time in France in a different country, uh, playing, you know, for a great team, Carcassonne, out my comfort zone. It, it was a big jump, but it was a plan, something 
that I needed to do to 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 take the next step. You know, I was com- just coming out of the academy. I was I'd just been appointed the uh, A team coach, which was the old reserve team back in the day for that following season. So I thought, and I'd never even played against men before. I'd only been playing against under 18s. So I just thought it'd be a great opportunity for me to go and get some experience against fully grown men for when I was to come back in the January uh, and and play play for the A team. So it was a fabulous time, you know, three months. I think it was just just over three months I was out there. Uh, my missus come out, Vicky come out after I think the first month. She was only meant to stay for a week. She ended up staying for the next two months with us. So we we had a ball of a time actually. Me. My daughter was conceived over in France. So I just, I, you know, I honestly look back on them, them times with fond memories and, you know, say that was probably the making of me, you know, going over there. And I turned up, I remember <clears throat> Thursday, Thursday evening, about Thursday, four o'clock, they gave me the keys to a car. I'd never even drove a car in England, never mind in France. It was on the, it was on obviously driving on the left hand side. Uh, it was just a crazy time, but. They, they, they looked after us so much, it was just unbelievable. I've got really fond memories of, like I said, been back a few times and played in Carcassonne. Uh, some fans, when we played in Catalan, drove all the way down and presented me with a, a number six shirt for, for, for their team. And yeah, it, it's just, a, it's a fabulous city and uh, we, we, we love it as a family. That tells me a lot about your attitude to transition, actually, and your, your willingness to embrace fear and and take leaps you know, off the back of all those emotions that you've detailed, that you've been feeling, the anxiety, the worry, the shock, and a little bit of anger. Actually, when you do stop and reflect, you do have that willingness to take a jump. And you did it from a very young age because that was what you needed to do. And there must have been something inside you that thought, this is going to turn out okay. Yeah, and it, again, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in, and if you don't try it, you'll never know. Uh, I, I, I use that in my coaching philosophy. The only, the only way you get better is making mistakes. And, you know, it, it's, it, again, life is experience. And for a 17-year-old kid, 18-year-old kid to go over to France and play over in France back in the day, it was, it was just a great opportunity, great experience. And uh, I, I will say as well, I was earning £29.50 on YTS at Saints. And, Suddenly, me me wage bumped up a bit, so that might have helped as well. <laughs> but you you could have stayed. You, you, you said your your other half went over and extended her stay. You could have extended yours because they wanted you to stay on, right? And yeah, yeah. They, they offered me a three year deal. It was it was crazy, and uh, it, I think it I think back then it was it was around about fifty thousand uh, pound, which it's mental money for for France and house, swimming pool, uh, a, a car, even though I didn't have a license, uh, but. And I was very close, very close to, to agreeing that deal. And life's, it's, I'm a big believer in fate. And uh, I come back and we come back for Christmas. And I was just meant to stay home for two weeks and then go back to France. But in the, in the meantime, Wigan were playing, uh, Saints were playing Wigan in the Norway Challenge. Uh, and... I don't know how it happened, but I ended up making my debut at Central Park. Uh, and, and then from that game, Saints wouldn't allow me to go back. They wanted me to obviously move up into the first team. So 
uh, yeah, it's it's fate that you know come home for Christmas and and I, and I get pushed into the into the first team and you know as I said the, the rest is history. But on the on the fate thing, I mean your belief in fate should that not have dictated that you then came home from from this spell of you know this this boy having his I guess boy becoming man in France and you decided to to crack on with your hometown club St Helens, but surely fate would have dictated that that was the launch of a, a very successful career, which you did have, but that would have been a successful career with St. Helens and that, and that didn't happen. No, exactly right. And, and I never thought that I would, I would ever play for anybody, but St. Helens, you know, St. Helens boy, you know, the Nosey Road ground was like my church. You know, people go to church on a Sunday. I used to go to Nosey Road every single night and I used to climb over the fence and I used to kick goals on a night time or we used to, as, a, as kids, we used to play hide and seek in the stands, you know, to the point where the, the groundsmen used to be chasing off. Oh, well, well now I was on first name terms with the groundsmen. I was like <laughs> 15, 16. And so I was a cheeky kid from over the road and, and, that, and that's the way it was. St. Helens was my life. And, you know, and not once did I ever think I was ever good enough to play for them. I used to just think rugby league was fun. Never knew you could get paid for it. And here I am, you know, playing, living out my dreams. Why Why did you not think you were good enough? Yeah, you know, I got signed really quite late. So I got signed on my 16th birthday where everybody else was getting signed, 14, 15. Uh, I wasn't the biggest. Um, but I ended up, I was playing, playing for St. Alice Town team against Wigan at Nosley Road. Uh, and, you know, I got, I got man at match that, that game and the scout come to me afterwards and said, listen, we want to sign you. Uh, I, I just, you know, I just loved the game, and I wasn't the biggest. I was always probably one of the skillfulest. But around about, around about my 16, 50, about fifteen and a half, sixteen, I started to grow. So I was probably only about five foot four, and then I grew to, you know, what I am now, six foot four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and and grew to, you know, just short five eleven. So that then the develop late development, uh, and then you know the. He said, listen, we want to sign you. And you know, I would have signed for nothing, but well, I basically did. They give me a tracksuit and two season tickets. Well, so. <laughs> uh, it's it was just unbelievable to I remember the day when I signed. Uh signed signed on in the director's lounge and straight off then to, to meet my mates on the bowling green down the road and, and have a game of game of rugby on a night like we did. It's just it's just, you know, everything I'd ever dreamt of. Do you remember the day then that you left and the Saints dream was was kind of over before it really got going and you were off to Pastures New, which was, you didn't know then, but it was going to be your home for 25 years? Yeah, I, I remember it as clear as day. And I remember the incident, well, actually, just going probably before that when when we was playing against Wigan in the Challenge Cup and, and Bobby Golden smashed Neil Calvi around the head. Well, I was in the stand that day as a supporter, as, as an academy player, and when he smashed him around the head, I'm cheering and, and going berserk like everybody was. And I didn't know that actually that incident was going to change my life forever because without Bobby Golden getting sent off and, and banned for eight games, I would have never got my chance. So it, it was a crazy, it was a whirlwind from basically every, every everything happening. And I think it was about six months of me going to France, coming back and then playing in the first team where I wasn't even... Probably the best halfback in in the in the A team. We had a 
few in front of me, but somebody somewhere has seen that I've got a bit of talent and put me there. And, uh, and then I think it was six or seven games in that Bobby Golden was coming back and he was going to, he was going to come back for the Wembley game, which he's obviously got no problem with. He was the best scrum half uh, in the country at the time, if not one of the best in the world. And he was a fantastic mentor to me, Bob. Not many people know that. He, you know, he, he used to come in on his days off and he used to drag me in with him and doing gicking and stuff. So got a lot of, a lot of, uh, thankful things and he, you know, with Bobby and, uh, and then when I, when I didn't get picked for the, the Challenge Cup final, my last game was against Wigan at Central Park. I think it was the last time, the first time Saints had beat him in about 14 years and I, I got man at match and, and somehow Warrington got wind that, you know, I wasn't going to play and they, they come in and offered Saints a great deal for me at that time. Uh, and, Saints wanted me to sign a, con a professional contract, which, you know, money's not, never has been, never will be uh, the reason why I do this. But, I, you know, they offered me, I think, about 6,000 to turn full-time full and Warrington got wind and, and come and, you know, they offered me the number seven shirt and uh, and, and a good deal to, on top of that, which we, at, at the time, obviously, my missus was pregnant with our first and we... We wanted to get onto the house ladder, so property ladder. So it was a great, it was a great offer that I, I could never turn down. And uh, again, I, I never ever wanted to leave Saint Helens, but uh, I think certain things dictated that I did. But it was probably one of the best things I've ever done. Well, you 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 started a career that ends up with with you being a Warrington Wolves legend. I mean, how do you reflect upon? the extraordinary career that you went on to have with Warrington? Uh, it's, yeah, it's crazy. Absolutely crazy. I owe, I owe Warrington, I owe the game of rugby league, everything. You know, I, I was, let's say I wasn't the best at school. So there's only one thing I could probably have done. And, and, and through this, I've met the most absolute wonderful people uh, through the club. You know, it's, They've given me an opportunity to travel the world. Uh, they've they've given me an opportunity to uh, have a you know have a, a lovely house what I live in. They've they've given me absolutely everything. They've made me into the man I am. Um, but it's also it's given me a, some great satisfaction as well, playing with some great great players, and and that's a, something what I can look back on twenty five years is. It's a fabulous time. I've had some ups, some downs, some in-betweens. And, I, and I, I really think and I thank them for that they've set me up for the next 25 years, what's going to be even better. Because I've got a, an unbelievable amount of knowledge uh, on this journey, which can only be a good thing, whether that be in rugby, whether it be in business. Uh, I've learned a hell of a lot and probably... I used to say, you know, I was gutted that I didn't do well at do well at school and get the grades, but you know, with the knowledge I've I've picked up over the years, you know, I probably couldn't have done that in any any other business. An incredible amount of success on the pitch as well. I mentioned the three challenge cups and the man of the match awards, the Lance Todd. And I, I mean I know I, I can still remember you punching the air when that man of the match award was read out over the loudspeakers at, at Wembley in the middle of a game. And I can remember you celebrating it like that. Because it meant so much, right? A million percent. 
Yeah. Are you, are you taking yourself back there now? Yeah, because I've got reasons for that. And it's, yeah, it, it, it's just like, in, in, you know, we, I, we grew up on Challenge Cup and the Lance Todd's the best man of the match to win. Ban on, in my eyes. And, and you know, it just takes me back to being a four-year-old kid all the way through. Every, every time I played on any field, it was, you know, well, I was playing at Wembley. So, you know, I look at the list of people who's won it and it, and it might sound selfish, but it's just a, it's just an unbelievable club that I'm in. And this little, you know, this person, this little, uh, little shit. <laughs> I was, uh, actually was successful one day and it, it's, I'm, I'm proud of that. I'm, I'm struck by how, how powerful your emotions about it are all this time on that, that, that tells me so much, Lee. It really does. Yeah, it's, it's, I suppose you, once you want something so much and you achieve it, it's so rewarding. And I try to tell that, you know, you can achieve anything you want as long as you're willing to work hard. Uh, yeah, and it was a long time working hard to, to get that dream. Um, I just want to join up a couple of, of dots in terms of the person you are and the person you were. And you've just said a couple of things that I want to kind of join up you, of how you were, the little shit you were and and how the career and how Warrington and your time there has made you the man you are. So I'd like to try and chart that transition if we're able to put it together and, you know, get into what were you like? What were you like as a player? And what were you like as a person while you were playing, do you think? Oh, player I was you know off the cuff you know curve free maybe a bit but always put the team first on the field probably didn't put the team first as much as I should off the field uh, and yeah I can, I can look back now and, and I can I can realise and I can I can I can speak about it because yeah I wasn't great but I, I, there's reasons for that and you know this past year this past year in lockdowns, it's, it's, I know it's been hard for COVID and we've lost a lot of deaths, a lot of people to it. And it's actually been a, an unbelievable learning, learning year for myself. You know, I, I, I finished drinking uh, of New Year last year. So I had a lot of time to reflect. And, and part of that reflection was, you know, I didn't really drink anywhere for probably the last 10 years. I probably, drunk once, maximum two times a month. Uh, and I suppose it's like when you're, when you're at school or when somebody says you can't, well, I was the one, I was the one where I was saying, oh, you can't, can I? Well, I can. Uh, and I look back now and, and when I, when I, when I, I review what I used to be like, and there was, there was, there was a big, there was a big purpose. What's the word I'm looking for? There's, it was like a big, Beacon, really. When I used to drink, it was used to be when we used to get beat. Yeah. So I wanted to hide the emotion. I understand now. I wanted to hide the emotion of that disappointment. So how would I do that? Would I go and have a drink? Well, back in 2002, 2005, six, Warrington didn't win many. So that, you know, I used to drink a bit. Now, when we won, I was fine. I was fine. I had 
I got my high. I was, I could, I was at peace. But I didn't have to uh, get rid of that pain. It's like, you know, Wembley. We won at Wembley. Yeah, we had a drink after Wembley, but I wouldn't go and kick it on for, for days and days because I'd done it. I'd, 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 I'd got my high. I don't need to hide any pain. And, you know, with, with not drinking uh, last year, in the whole of, you know, from, from New Year's, New Year's Eve, and then obviously my mum passing away in November. It's, it's really, again, it's, it's fake me not drinking because if I would have been drinking and feeling them pe- that pain of my mum passing away, I would have gone off, yeah. off the rails, a million percent would have gone off the rails, but I didn't and uh, I wasn't drinking and I felt every emotion, I could, I could think clear uh and you know i organized everything around the around the funeral i've got three three older brothers and an older an older sister but i took it on, on myself to organize it because I, I was in control of everything my emotions and and you know i'm i'm, I'm never going to say i'm never going to drink again but yeah i can I'm, I'm one of these and you do it in in any sport you binge drink because you don't get many opportunities so I'm probably better drinking two or three pints every night now than going having that big one. Because the big one takes about two or three days now. Now that I'm a, now that I'm like the wrong end of thirty. <laughs> uh, and and but it's again it's that uh, we touched on it about the twenty five years I've had at Warrington. Yeah. Well then twenty five years have set me up for the next twenty five years. I'm a better person, better man better father you know and and that's hopefully gonna lead me to the next part of my life um i'm so pleased you want to talk about alcohol um and i I was struck actually by i asked you then what were you like as a player and your your you gave me a long a long answer about about booze um which 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 really strikes me now I mean, I'm on a similar journey, as you know. I, in fact, we 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 did the same thing at the same time, did, right? Yeah. New Year's Eve, 2019, last last beer I've had. Same for you. Yeah. Um, and you're still sober. No, I, I've I I did have a drink on my mum's uh, funeral, but it was you know a few drinks. Uh, but uh, take it all leave. You know, it's six months past, so it's like. I didn't really count it as a drink because it was it was a toast to sure. to mum. Uh, but you know, I, I could I could quite easily have a glass of wine today, and that'll be it again for another two years. But it's the choice I take not to. Uh, and I just find it I, I, again. I, it goes back to I didn't really do it because again I could since I've retired playing from playing. I could drink as much as I want, but there was nobody telling me I couldn't, so I didn't really do it. It's like the naughty school kid. I remember, I remember you telling me. I remember you telling me. I, I drank as much as I did as a player because we were told we couldn't. Yeah. And, and now you've got your own time, and that's, it's fascinating because you could spend all day every day in the pub now if you wanted to. Every, day. every single day. But I've never become a golf pro then, so I'll do that. <laughs> and when you said... you. Off the field, you didn't put the team first as much as you should. Are you talking about the fact that you didn't you, you didn't look after yourself? Yeah, 
you went out boozing too much when you were playing at the height of your career? Yeah, I wouldn't say it was too much drinking. It's just that, you know, you, you've got to be ultra, ultra professional. I suppose I played in a different era as well where you could, probably could do it. Uh, but, you know, looking back, would I change anything? Definitely not. So, what, I mean, effectively what we're talking about is a huge lifestyle change, you know, a lifestyle transition from... I mean, certainly from my point of view, I've, I've made just enormous changes in my life and it was for mental health reasons. But I, I, do, I do look back and wish, wish I'd have done it a lot sooner than I did. But the way you were, and you said a bit of a maverick on the pitch and a bit off it, that was part of, that, that was you. That was my makeup. So that was perhaps my... you wouldn't have been the, the, the player you were, perhaps, if your lifestyle was different back then. I, I do so. I do so. I wasn't because I get this. I get this question asked a lot, you know, about training. Now, I, I used to train hard. Oh, you've got to train hard because it's a game we live in. Uh, but, you know, I used to do a lot of video analysis, so I used to get my, my work done in my head because I could take as much as it in. Now, other people can't. They can't take 10 minutes of video in. Now, I could take 10 hours in, a regular. Uh, so I used to do a lot of, of that stuff. Uh, and... Uh, they say well, what you didn't train, you you never train really hard. But you know, I, I did, I did train, train hard. Uh, I've lost my train of thought now. But you were uh, able, to, you were able to manage what you needed to do. Yes, to train. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but that was the type of person I was, and I, I did try it the other way. Where you know, I trained the house down absolutely train as hard as anybody else and I kept getting injured. And I used to say, well, that's not for me, is it? But, you know, some people are like that. Some people are, are you know, they, they don't train that hard, but they play unbelievable on the field. I've, I've seen it all the way through my career. Uh, but nowadays, it's there's more athletes than players. Hmm. You, yeah, it absolutely does. Um, were, were you ever bothered what people thought of you? No. And I don't mean that in a, in a pejorative sense. Although I, I, I mean, I remember, I, I'm fortunate that I've got to know you um, probably more since you stopped playing. But I remember when I got to know you when you were playing, it was beersy rather than breezy. You know, yeah. it, it, it was the lad who you'll be out for a drink with after a game and he'll probably be the best player on the pitch during the game you're commentating on. Yeah. Did any of that stuff bother you? No, uh, not at all. Because, and you'll, you'll, you're, well, I thought you'll agree. I'm not that person. I'm no, not. Well, no, I know, but that's what fascinates me. And, you yeah. know, having, having had similar battles myself in recent years between, you know, character versus reputation and knowing in yourself what kind of person you are. Yeah. So actually, it doesn't matter what other people might, might say about you. But, but to me, it always has done. I've always cared far too much and I, and I look at kind of your strength of mind, if you like, and I wonder if that was actually, were you bothered when you were playing in front of the South Stand at Leeds and everyone was... Abusing me. Yeah, and I was one of them. And yeah. Say so you're, you're laughing, so you must have loved that, right? Love it. Well, you know, if I weren't doing anything right, they wouldn't be abusing me. They were worried. And that's, it's not big-headed, it's not being arrogant. If, if they're not abusing me, you know, I mustn't be doing that well. 
So that's the way I used to. And I used to thrive off that, thrive off it. Obviously, it affects you sometimes. But, you know, I go back to your support network and your both. As long as the people who are close to you understand you and they know the real person, well, it doesn't really matter about everybody else. And I've come to realise you can't please everybody. You can't do it. It's impossible. So you've just got to be true to yourself. And and I, and I get it all the time. God, you're actually, you're all right, aren't you? You're a good kid. Yeah, but not many people. I don't let many people in. I've got, I've got to have a network of people who, you know, I'll have a drink with anybody. Back in the day, I'm part of anybody, but to be real close, you, you know, I've got to really, really, really trust people. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not that bad of a person. <laughs> but yeah, that's 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 good. No, you're not, and it, and I have to say, it fascinated when 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 I got to know you how different you were from the person I thought you were, and I ended up hating myself for that because that's 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 me gaining a perception without actually knowing somebody. Yeah. Um, and then the strength of mind for you. Someone someone once said to me in the, in the last couple of years when I've been going through stuff that I've been going through and said, you need to develop the strength that some people are going to dislike you. And that, that can't affect, you know, that's just them. That's, that's on them. That's not on you. And that's something I struggle with. So I always, I, I, I love talking to people like you who seem to be able to deal with it so well. Yeah. And, and again, you, 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 there's always going to be somebody who wants to knock, knock you down. And it, it tends to come through jealousy. They're only doing it because they can't do it. You know, George, you're a great presenter. So there's going to be people who's going to knock you because they can't present like you present. You know, there's, there was, with, my, with me, half of these people who, who want to knock me is because they were jealous because they couldn't do what I was doing. I was living their dream. And along the way, I was probably harming the, their enjoyment because if my team beat their team, well... The emotion, what they will be feeling is not very happy. So, mm. you know, you, you, you can't worry about people who, who really don't matter to you, I suppose. And, you know, I am a caring person. I am I, I'm a very emotional person. But that helps me as well to, to be emotional and, and not to hold it in. And if I'm feeling it, tell somebody. And I do it regular. But have you always been like that? I do get, I mean, there's, there's a very clear distinction with, with, with you being a great example in terms of how people may have perceived you at various points of your life and your career and, and the kind of person you actually are. But I do sense there has been a transition in you as well. The kind of person I'm speaking to now might not necessarily have been the kind of person I, I would have been speaking to at the kind of the start of your career. A million percent different. But that becomes, you become that with age, with knowledge, you know, with experience. And like I always go back to it is, that part of my career, the playing part, was was awesome because Libra is at forty two can understand Libra is at twenty five. So what I do as well with that, I use that as my experience with coaching. You know, everybody's got choices. Some of them choices what I chose didn't work out for me so good. So I can use that experience with the players I coach now. You know, you've got choices. Maybe don't use, don't take the same ones I did because they work great for me. Would I ever tell somebody you mustn't do this? No, because that'd be you know an hypocrite. I just say you've got a choice. 
don't don't make the same mistakes I probably did. So then I'm helping out of my, you know, if Libres didn't play for Great Britain because he was perceived to be not a good professional, well, if I can use that to help somebody else play for Great Britain or maybe around the line, well, I'll take that. That's part of my journey. So your experience, what you're saying, your experience and your transition as a person, as a player during that period has kind of shaped the kind of coach you are now in terms of how I'm just imagining you coaching a young Libriers and would you, would, I don't know, would you try and shackle them? Would you try and let them be? You've said you try and advise them. You could only advise. You've got to gain the trust and, you know, I wouldn't shackle them, no. They, you know, again, it's their journey. It's that person's journey. It's their life. You've got to give them, you know, you, you guide them through, through, through my own experiences, but not be too, you know, this is how I did it. This is how I didn't do it. And, and it's their life. This is, this is, uh, it's, it's bigger than just rugby league. It's I trying to educate them on life, being good people, you know, whatever that may be. And in a way, and certainly in your experience, I, I suppose as well, some of the biggest changes you can make along the way are because you've got things wrong and because you've made mistakes, otherwise you would just carry on doing the same thing. Yeah, you learn. You learn. You know, if you keep doing the same thing over and over again, you know, and, you know, you can make mistakes once, twice, you know, three times you're a dickhead. You know, I've made a few, few mistakes, but... Again, I, w- I don't regret it. I use it as experience. I use it as knowledge and you know, to not do it again. To help people who you probably, I could probably see who's doing the same thing. It's going down the same path and help them. It's, yeah, it's, I've got a tremendous bank of knowledge what hopefully moving forward I can use. Uh, just a couple of things before we get to the end of this chat, which has been absolutely brilliant, by the way. And I really appreciate your time because I know you've been, I know you've been playing on the golf course with Eddie Hemmings and Paul Schoolthorpe. So you've you've been having a horrible day. (laughs) Yeah, I'll probably go out again after this and go and do some practice. (laughs) Um, Probably the biggest change and the biggest, the biggest transition that any professional sportsman has to has to confront and take on is is when the playing days come to an end. So I do want to ask you about how that period was. I mean, for you, if I recall, it was injury um, that brought to an end to your playing day. So just take me back to that period leading up to that, what you were going through when you knew it was probably going to be it and when you had to make the decision. And, and just give me a sense of what that period was like because that, that, that's, that's probably the biggest change any professional sportsman will have to make in their life. Yeah, it certainly was. It, it, pro- it happened 2013 in around January, I was getting some pain in, in my back. Generally, where you, you, you get a trapped nerve in the back is under your shoulder blade and just thought that's all it was. And uh, played in played in Benny Westwood's testimonial against Wigan and I took a bang on it and it was just really sore and thought nothing of it. So the next game, I got an injection in it because every time I coughed, it was like, ah, oh, excruciating pain. And then we played Wigan two days at two games into the season again and I made a tackle and I just got shooting pins and needles down my hands and I said to the physio I said oh I've got pins and needles all in my hands and he just looked at me and went oh that's not your back that's your neck so 
that was on the Friday. On the Monday, I went for some scans on my neck uh, and the surgeon straight said straight away, he said, oh, you've got a slip disc and that's on your spinal cord. Uh, you're going to have to uh, not play for eight, eight weeks. I thought, bloody hell, I've just done three months pre-season and out. So I said, can we not get a second opinion? So I went to a, another surgeon, got a second opinion. He went, he said, spinal, you've got a prolapse disc. It's on your spinal cord. Exactly what I knew. You're going to have to miss 16 weeks. I went, oh, Jesus. Can we not have the first one back? So basically, I had 16 weeks uh, rehab, trying to you know, get, they said I might be able to pop it back in, the prolapse disc pop it back in, but if not, we'll have to have surgery. So after about 14 weeks, I thought, oh, I feel great and whatnot. Went back to the surgery, said, brilliant, it's gone back in, carried on playing. So carried on playing, I think I did about 10 straight weeks, playing in London, down in London, uh, beating them 68 nil. Broke through after, with about 10 minutes to go on it, come up to the fullback and hit Richie Myler, the fullback whacked me and I whiplashed and the pins and needles started again. So I just said to the physio, I've got a bit of pins and needles, but it's not too bad. He said, well, listen, keep me updated on it and see how we go. Well, you know, I was lying. I, the pins and needles were horrendous. But we were coming up to, to Grand Final. We knew we had a really good team and we knew that, that we, we might have a real chance of taking this out. Uh, so basically for about another six weeks, I lost my full right hand. And I didn't do weights, so they, they couldn't tell that I had no tricep. Uh, and my right hand, I couldn't turn. I couldn't turn the bottle on, not the cap on a bottle. I just lost all nerve. So I'm thinking, there's something bad. There's something bad. But you know, I can see the grand final. Uh, I'm lucky enough. We got to the grand final and uh, we'll beat him Wigan, smashing them. Then um, we got a couple of injuries, and uh, I remember tackling Liam Farrell. It's probably yeah. I don't laugh, George. I didn't make a tackle. <laughs> uh, and he, well, he, I think he's Liam's. Uh, yeah, he, I tackled him when I, he landed on me. Both my hands just stuck like this, and they were in spasm, and I couldn't get off the floor. And I thought, oh god. Anyway, cut a long story short. After the game, I said to the physio, "Listen, I've been, I've been leading you astray. I've been lying and showing him." Anyway, wow. He said, "Let's let's get it scanned." So the following on that Saturday. We got it scanned the next day, and I knew there was something wrong. But the surgeon was away for a month, so I couldn't get the, the results. So 5th of November, went back and seen the surgeon, and as soon as he, he looked at him, he just looked at me, and I knew straight away. And this time I had uh, three prolapse discs, what was on my spinal cord, and he just looked at me and said, you can never play uh, sport ever again, contact sport. And, Whew. I knew anyway that was it wasn't great, but I thought there would have been a way around it. And he just said, so I burst into tears and he said, listen, and I'm really thankful that he did. He said, yeah, you, you're upset and, and whatnot now, but you're very, very lucky because you could be sat here in a wheelchair. You're literally millimetres off cutting your spinal cord because you've got three, not just one, you've got three. So that's why my arm literally couldn't move it, use my arm. So I had the operation. Uh, they, they took two two discs out, replaced them with metal discs, and left one in because it was that dangerous of an operation. Uh, and yeah, that was it. Done. Dark, you know, felt really dark times. 
But I was lucky enough that I'd already started my coaching that year. And Warrington, I was only going to play for one more year. And Warrington pushed that contract forward. So I went straight into coaching, which the transition helped me a lot. Helped me a hell of a lot. Uh, I dare say without that, it would have been it would have been some some rough times. But I've got, I have to, you know, Warrington were fantastic with me in transitioning me into to a coach. Tony Smith was was fantastic. And Sam Moran and... Uh, and, and, I, and I can honestly say I've never missed playing. I've never missed it. Even when we played in grand finals and Challenge Cup finals when I've been coaching, I've never thought, I want to be out there. I've always thought, you know, I'm happy and content with my, with my career. Uh, and also, if, if I was one of those players who thought, yeah, I can still do it, it wouldn't be fair to the kids what I was coaching. That wasn't giving them 100%. And I really believe, you know, the coaching helped me, but we spoke about golf and, you know, I love to play golf, but I only realised in lockdown last year that how much golf saved me uh, because when lockdown come and I couldn't play golf, I could feel myself struggling because I, I didn't have that competition to go and play and, you know, playing against the golf course, playing against the card, playing against somebody else. And, and that's what I really, you know, I really, you know, stuck my teeth into after, after finishing rugby was golf. It's, I love it, absolutely addicted to it. But that helped me because it gave me another focus. And I, you know, I want to get as low as I can, uh, which I've got a goal to to get to scratch. And you know, when I finished playing rugby, I think I was off 11 and I'm off two now. Mm. So it's going in the right direction, but it's, it's massive for me. Just, you know, I can put my oh, foot. No, I mean, we laugh about it, but it's, it's replacing that. That focus and that focus. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people, that's why a lot of people struggle. Yeah, million percent. You know, you know, you, you look at playing in front of you know, 80, 86,000 at Wembley. But when you're playing and you've got a four foot putt, it's just w- way more nerve wracking. And you've got a four foot putt to win the match. You know, it's it's an unbelievable buzz. And that's what, you know, that's what I've got from it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's kept me sane. That's why I've got to do it. So that's why I tell the missus I've got to do it seven days a week, <laughs> twice on a Wednesday. <laughs> do you miss uh, just a couple of final thoughts? Uh, do, do you miss the the adoration of of being a, a you know a hero and that, that you mentioned eighty six thousand and all those chanting your name and cheering for you? Is is there an element of your ego that that struggles with not having that anymore? No, I honestly don't. It's not me. Uh, I, yeah, listen. I'd be lying if you, you didn't like it and love it and, and, you know, you're fed off it. But it's not the person I, I want to be. It's not the, I don't want to be in the spotlight. I just want to live a normal life to, to help people, you know, and I don't want any, anything back from it. Uh, and obviously the job I'm in, there's going to be people who I'm going to, you know, give joy to. I get it, but it's not why I do it. I do it to to help people to, to become the best people they can, not just rugby players. Which brings us pretty neatly full circle. And I'm struck by the conversation that you've just like blow by blow detailed with, with your specialist telling you that not only will you never play sport again, that you, you also could have been paralysed. And I'm just thinking how, I'm bringing it back to where we started with that meeting in, at Warrington Walls, telling you that you're, you, you know, you're losing your job and you're out. Which brings us, as I say, full circle. But I can't help thinking how much that first conversation would have prepared you very well for the next one, because perspective wise, 
you know the adversity of of what you've been through gives you the resilience to deal with the subsequent blows that that, that, that have come in the last few weeks for sure for sure and and i'm i'd be stupid to think this is going to be the last tough conversation i'm ever going to have in my life it's not there's going to be some more tough times i get it uh you know my, my father my dad you know he's 85 there's going to be a time where i'm going to feel the, the emotion what i felt six months ago it's 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 third unless i go first but it's it's there and you you've just got to you've got to i suppose you've, we've we've all got coping mechanisms you know it's kind of preparing yourself for it uh and again, having that support network around you is key. It's key, and you know we, we're living on a journey. That was a final thought. How close are you to knowing what might be next, and how do you feel about what the future might hold for Libres? Um, there's, there's been talks. There's been talks. Uh, there's nothing in concrete, but I'm excited to whatever's next. Whether it, you know, I'm 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 content if I have to walk away from the game. I'm you know, do I want to walk away from the game? No, because I think I've got a hell of a lot to offer. But you know, rugby league is is a small portion of of my life. Uh, it's scary, it's exciting, and we'll see what's around the corner. And if you're thinking, blimey, what does the rest of my life look like now? What do, you, what do you think your mum would say to you? Ah, uh, fucking hell. Proud. Mum would just... Yeah, proud. She's proud. And I thank her. Because she's made me. It's been amazing talking to you, mate. This is one of the most enjoyable uh, and interesting interviews I've ever done. So I really appreciate your time. It means a lot. No, pleasure, George. Thanks, thanks for having me on. Uh, Lee Breers, uh, what a great guest. Uh, thank you very much. Take good care and we'll see you next time.